Amen. And, uh, and again, there are, there are many others who have gone before us, and we, we want to honor the lives of those who walked by faith before us. Amen? Amen. Amen. So thank you for that. And I appreciate you all. Well, you can open up your app, your Bible, your phone, whatever you have. Hey, uh, your, your actual paper Bible. Or you can read it off the screen. But we're going to go to and finish up in Luke chapter 5, looking at the last few verses that are here. A scripture here that begins with a question about something. Something that probably is near and dear to all of our hearts. Something that we just long for and look forward to. And we're so glad these questions got asked because I've always wanted to find out more about fasting. Now, let me just say this, fasting, you know, you, you, you can certainly give up a whole bunch of things, but fasting is food, all right? I mean, fasting is, not, is, is food. It's food that we give up for a certain period of time for a purpose. Oftentimes in the scriptures, we see that fasting came and people would fast because for the purpose of mourning. It was a sign of mourning in their lives. Fasting was a time when people would begin to take a deeper look at their spiritual life. It was the opportunity to commune in a deeper way with God. It, it was a time for people to feast on God's word rather than the simple pleasures of life. There were many different purposes for fasting. And when a Christian fasts, as Christians in the New Testament, when we fast, it should be this attitude that I would rather have God. I would rather have the life giver than I want my daily portion of food. And that's what this whole seeking of, of fasting is all about. Now, fasting scripturally started back in Leviticus, way back in the Torah and the law the, is where we see the very beginning. And fasting was called for by God. It was called on the Day of Atonement. And on the Day of Atonement, the Israelites were to honor God by mourning over their sins. And they did that by fasting. And the people in the, in the ESV, it says that they were to afflict themselves. It was, and again, that meant fasting. But let's face it. Fasting sure does feel like an affliction, doesn't it? It's a sacrifice in the body, a sacrifice to us, and, and it is tough. And so there would be this time of fasting on the Day of Atonement, and the priests would take the, the sacrifices, and they would shed the blood of the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. And that was on the very brief overlay of the Day of Atonement. And Moses, he did this. This is Moses. He, he did what the Lord had commanded. But you know that that is the only day, scripturally, that God commands a fast. It's the only God-commanded fast in, in the scriptures. Well, the Pharisees, the Pharisees did what the Pharisees do. The Pharisees took this God-ordained special day that God had called this ordained fast to be held on, and they thought, well, you know what? If God wants us to fast once a year, oh, we can be really, really pleasing to God if we fast twice a week, oh yeah. <laughs> and so that was their practice. 
They required, the, the, they required the, uh, the Jews, they required fasting twice a week. So every Monday and every Thursday was fast day. That, that's the days they would fast. Now that was, again, those were the Pharisees' requirements. That was not, listen, that is not biblically God's requirements. Okay, that was just their way, the Pharisees' way for being able to look holy, to look spiritual, to look, you know, sacrificial, to look sanctified. This was their way to look holier than the other people around them. And and again, I love what Jesus said in response to that attitude towards fasting. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, in verses 16 through 18. He said, and when you fast, now again, he does expect us to fast, but this is a fast that doesn't come at an appointed time because you're demanded to. This is a fast that you will, and we'll talk about in a moment, but you'll have a certain purpose for that. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. Who do you think he's talking about right there? Yeah, all these gloomy, disfigured faces. And he says, for they disfigure their faces in their fasting that it may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, fasting apart from the reward of God is starvation. I mean, it really serves no other purpose than that. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So New Testament fasting is by choice, and it's done for different reasons than what it was called for in Leviticus. Now, we fast because I want to draw deeper into God. I want to draw closer to God. I want a, I want a breakthrough of understanding in my life. I want to get rid of some of these, these worldly things so that I can focus myself onto the spiritual things. And when I get hungry, that means it's just a reminder that I might focus myself on those spiritual things. Because I want to come closer to you, God. So in the New Testament, it's completely different. And now what happens is that in this place where the the Pharisees were fasting, and, and Jesus and his disciples, they were eating and drinking. There's like, wait a minute. This is not the same. And and again, understand that Jesus was not teaching his disciples to break God's law. He was was teaching the disciples not to give in to man's customs and traditions that are man-made, not God-given. And so he's talking about this whole thing here in this way of fasting. But fasting, he, he brings it about and uses this opportunity to bring up something that's way more important than just simply fasting wow amen Amen? there's some kind of noise going on outside one of you guys want to go take a look and see what's going on out there thanks Tylo what God does in this is he takes this opportunity when when they bring up this question of fasting and it's amazing isn't it amazing how Jesus has a way of changing conversations to bring about something that's way more important and much deeper so Jesus takes these questions about fasting and he uses it as an opportunity to, take, uh, to, to teach on the kingdom of God. 
And so, and I want to take a look at, this is what he's doing here. He's taking this, and I wanted to set that up because this is what he's doing in Luke chapter 5, is this is not about fasting. This is Jesus using this opportunity to talk about the kingdom of God. And listen to what he says in verses 33 through 39. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and pray and and offer prayers, and, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But Yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. And then he goes on and he tells them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new one. And again, so he tells them this thing about sewing, and you know, he's like, uh, I wonder if he went, ah, maybe they won't understand that. <laughs> Let me find an illustration that they'll definitely all understand. And so he says this, and no one, If you didn't understand that one, you'll get this one. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skin and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says the old is good. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come to you and thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the power of your word, the life of your word. I thank you, Lord God, for the lasting, anointed power of your word in our lives. And I pray today, Lord, that you would open up the deaf ear, that you would, Lord God, allow us to see what it is that you're desiring us to see. Let there be, Father God, a freedom today in this place to receive with our heart, to understand with our mind, to, Father God, be renewed in our spirit from the power of your word. I thank you, Lord, that there is life in your word, for it's living and it's active. Let it be that in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Now, again, you you know, you have to, in this picture here, there's one thing that is definitely and absolutely sure. If you're watching Jesus and his disciples, and then you're watching the Pharisee and their disciples, the first thing that you would notice is there's a huge difference. Hey, I mean, it is a tremendously huge difference. The difference in this was night and day. There was nothing even close. And it's noticed here in Matthew, when Matthew writes about this, they're they're starting to notice this whole thing. The disciples in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, it says, then the disciples of John. So the disciples of John now, they came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. It seems like John is noticing something. It seems like John's disciples here are noticing something. They're noticing this difference, but John's disciples are in this place where they're looking at it going, What's, wait a minute, what's going on here? Like they had, and again, at this point in Matthew chapter 9, John is already, in, he's already most likely in jail, so John, their leader, is not there. Listen, John the Baptist fasted, and they did that for all sorts of different reasons. It was not for religious tradition. But here we have his disciples who all of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute, why are we doing this? 
Like, why have we fallen into the trap of tradition? Why, why are we doing this? I mean, without John the Baptist and without this leadership there, I, I really do believe that they had fallen into the Pharisees' tradition or the Pharisees' form of religion when it came to this whole issue of fasting. That's why they're standing here. And listen, I told you before, that is all of our, we all have a tendency to that. I mean, there is no, I mean, I don't care how charismatic you are, that charisma has the ability to become religious and just become a form, as does, um, you know, any other religious tradition. And we have a tendency in our nature to want to fall prey to that. And again, here, I believe that this is what's going on, because these guys are coming to Jesus, and they're like, well, wait a minute, how come, how come we fast, and how come... The disciples of the Pharisees fast, but you don't fast. Have you ever been fasting when everyone else wasn't? Yeah, it's like, man, that stinks. These guys are like, well, well, just hold on a minute. Wait a minute. And they're noticing something here. And this is what I'm trying to point out. And, and again, they're noticing this difference. There's a, such a difference here. There's the stark distinction between religion and Christianity, between Judaism and, and Christ. There, there's a huge gap here. What's going on? Why, why is it that we're all fasting right now and Jesus and your disciples, you guys are feasting? What's going on here? And so they're asking these questions. They're, they're looking at this difference. They're looking, you know, and again, the Pharisees, I just tell you, man, every day is a cloudy day for them. I mean, what a gloomy bunch. Oh, just, you know, following the rules, just, you know. They, I tell you what, that's where Eeyore came from. Honestly, I mean, there wasn't any joy at all in that. The whole, the, I mean, you know, honestly, they, they put themselves in a position to cover themselves with this religious veil, but it really was veiled paranoia. They were paranoid they weren't going to be good enough. They weren't going to be a lot stronger. They weren't going to do the right thing, so God wouldn't accept them. I mean, it was this place where they were being governed by fear, a fear that they weren't good enough, a fear that they didn't do enough, that they didn't work hard enough, and therefore wouldn't be accepted by God. And so there's this group over here, and then over here, you got Jesus and his disciples, and they're just enjoying life. They're enjoying each other's company. They're enjoying the party that they're at. They're enjoying the food. They're enjoying the drink. They're enjoying life. They're enjoying everything that God had provided through Levi that was being offered at this feast. Jesus and his disciples were at peace. Come on, they were at peace. You know why? Because they were in the presence of the one who brought the freedom from sin. They were in the presence of the one who had the opportunity to bring forgiveness. Amen. They were enjoying the freedom from man's traditions. They were enjoying the freedom from this pharisaical tradition of fasting here. And then there's this whole thing that starts to take shape as Jesus comes into this world and Jesus begins to forgive sin. I mean, we just read through that. Jesus forgives sin. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus delivers the demonic. Jesus is the one who's moving and standing against all of these Jewish traditions. And he's in the midst of all of this. He is revealing a new kingdom. A new kingdom that had come to the earth. 
You know, the question is this. Why would anybody fast? Why would anybody fast when Jesus is present and celebrating himself? Well, they sure were, the Pharisees anyway. Church, right now, is that this is a time for celebrating. Do you, you realize we live in the age of celebrating? <laughs> we, we have got so much to praise and to be thankful for. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 34. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, but then they will fast in those days. Now, you know, I thought about this, and as I'm reading this, I've been to a lot of weddings and been to quite a few, and, you know, one of the things that is almost always included in weddings is a time of feasting. Come on, how many of you, when you got invited to a wedding, you get invited to the reception, and you get this little card, and you're supposed to send the card back to them, and one of the things you have to do is check, what do you want, chicken, steak, or fish? Because we're feasting. Amen. So you check them all. <laughs> Don't send me one or that's what you're going to get back because I'm going to come, I'm going to eat it all. I'm going to feast with you because that's what we do at a wedding. Just like what they were probably doing here. They were at Levi's house still or more than likely still there at Levi's house and they were still in the middle of this feast, in the middle of this time and they're, they're in the house and they're eating. You know, and I don't know, I couldn't, I looked, I, stu- I tried to find this. I don't know, you can, you can look and maybe if you can find this, you could let me know. I don't know what day it was that Levi's feast was taking place. But just, I have a strong feeling just in, you know, as I've gotten to grow and to know how the Lord just seems to always surprise me and and work in wonderful ways. I would bet that that feast was happening on a Monday or a Thursday. (laughs) Oh, I just think God would, you know, oh, let me show you. A day, yes, Monday and Thursday, the days that the Pharisees fasted. And so all these guys, you know, John's disciples and, and the Pharisee and the, their disciples were all fasting. And Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the gospel. Come on, they're celebrating the gospel. This is a picture of what it should be for those who are followers of Jesus Christ. This is a time that we should be celebrating. We should be in every circumstance and situation, we should be celebrating the gospel. We should be celebrating the fact that we have been set free from the bondage of sin. We have been set free from the overwhelming decay of the world. We have been set free from the freedom of the law. We have been set free and we have been given the status as children children of God. Come on, this is a time we should be celebrating. We should be like these disciples of Jesus. We should be celebrating. And I'll tell you what, when you do, when you start, when you stand up and you start celebrating the gospel, you start celebrating who Jesus is, you start celebrating what Jesus means in your life, you start, when you start to celebrate Jesus, those people that are still bound up in their sin, those people that are overwhelmed with religious characteristics will stand up and take notice. And they won't like it. They won't care for it. And what Jesus 
is doing here, you know, this question is asked, and what Jesus is doing by answering them, and as he answers them, he's answering and speaking and teaching you and I right now. And what he was doing in this moment is he's telling this. Church, the new covenant gospel is better than the old covenant law. I mean, it's what Jesus is telling us. The first one, the, the old covenant law, points forward to a time when sins will be forgiven. The New Testament grace, sins are forgiven. Come on, a radical difference. A radical difference in the one we mourn over the sins that we cannot find forgiveness. In this one, the new covenant, we rejoice because now our sins are forgiven. And in this story, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom. That's what he calls himself. And again, it's an important metaphor. He is the bridegroom. And the church is the bride. And here the disciples are the wedding guests. And so this picture is this wedding reception where all these guests are there and all these guests are present. And it's an atmosphere of celebrating. It's an atmosphere of fellowship. It's an atmosphere where everyone's having this great time. Everyone's having a wonderful time and celebrating and partying. And, well, except for... except for the people that were standing outside, except for the people that were pointing at those over there, except for those who weren't really invited. Listen, you don't fast at a feast. You don't, you don't do that. How many of you go to a party and try to look as gloomy as you can? Listen, you don't get invited back. I mean, we, we don't do that. We, we, listen, church, you're not mourning over sin when the bridegroom is present and forgiving sin. Okay, we don't. That is unless your sins aren't being forgiven. Then we don't see the party. But church, Jesus is the mediator, and he is the mediator of a new covenant. It's a brand new covenant. In other words, Jesus, listen, he is the anointed Messiah. He is the one that Scripture declared all through the Old Testament would come, born of a virgin. And he's declared that he is the anointed Messiah, the one who would come. And when Jesus comes, he would come. And what he brought with him is he brought a new kingdom with him. And he brought with him a new covenant that he brought with him. And it was a new kingdom and a new covenant that was purchased by his shed blood as his perfect life was lived and his death was given on the cross for you and for me. His death on the cross, church, paid the price for the sins of everybody who would be called to enter into this new covenant? In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15, it says this. It says, therefore he, talking about Jesus, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Church, the bottom line 
with Jesus is that they were celebrating there and the celebration was going on because the bridegroom, because Jesus himself was in their midst and he brought with him the kingdom of God. He brought with him the new covenant. And fasting was definitely called and okay, and it was fasting was something in the past. But now Jesus was in their midst. Everything that the old covenant had pointed to was now standing in humanity in Christ Jesus himself. The fulfillment of every promise, everything that the old covenant pointed to was there in Jesus. Why would the worshipers continue to walk through these religious traditions or the practices of the old covenant when Jesus was now with them? It was Jesus, he was talking about how his, his grace and, and his presence removes all the needs for the sorrow, the mourning, everything that fasting symbolizes. It removed it all from those who were being redeemed, from those who were coming into his presence. And he said in verse 35 that there would come a time that when the bridegroom is taken away that the bride will be sorrowful and mourn. And there was a time of weeping. There was a time when the bride wept, when Jesus Christ was crucified, when he was taken off that cross and placed in an empty tomb. And Jesus Christ, in this life, in his flesh, he died. And then Jesus Christ, though death could not hold him, the grave could not stop him, and he was resurrected. He came back from the dead. He arose from the ground. He rose to the grave. He was ascended back unto the Father in heaven. And then he poured out the Holy Spirit of grace for you and for me. And he poured the Spirit out. And he gave to you and I a heart of joy that is mixed with nothing else. Don't try to mix God's joy with something else. Because that something else will spoil God's joy. Don't do it. Church, the bride's fasting days are over. The called fast, the required fast. Why? Because our sins are gone. Our sins have been forgiven. Jesus Christ fulfilled the day of atonement. He was the sacrifice who came and, and he came in grace and he came in righteousness and eternal life is now ours. We receive that new life and now we just wait for that day when glory calls us. But for now, Christ, our Savior, our faithful God, our faithful King, the Holy Bridegroom, he is with us where two or more are gathered. He said, there I am in the midst and Jesus Christ is here and he's here to provide. He's here to protect. He's here to comfort. He's here to forgive. He's here to save. He's here to deliver. He's here to be your redeemer. And he came to redeem you by giving you a heart filled with pure, unadulterated joy. That's what he came to do for you and for me. And Jesus, he, he, he gives us this illustration, these illustrations about what he's talking about here. And, and in verse uh, 36, he talks about this, how, how works and grace cannot go together. They can't, they don't, they won't. They're not supposed to. And we shouldn't try to make them. And that's what he's talking about here. In verse 36, he says this. He also told them a parable. No one, say that, no one. No, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. They can mess everything up. 
In verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skin and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. The new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new. For he says, the old is good. Now, the simplified point to what he's talking about here is that we should never mix anything with the gospel. We should never, as he says in his word, add to or take away the finished work of Christ. But we've got to understand what the gospel is. Most of us don't fully understand when people ask us, well, what's the gospel? Well, we've got all sorts of explanations. Listen, the gospel is not a process. The gospel is not the process in how we get saved. Simply put, the gospel is the truth. And and our call is to declare that truth. Okay, not to change it, not to transform it, not to make it palatable, not to water it down. No, we are supposed to take the word of God. We're supposed to take the gospel of grace. And don't, it's not a process that we should be tinkering with it. The church shouldn't be playing around with the gospel thinking that we're going to improve upon it. No, it is the truth. You can't change truth. All you can do is declare the truth. And that's what God has called us to do is the gospel message. It is Jesus Christ from start to finish. It's the truth, and only the truth can set you free. Grace and works cannot go together. Okay, if works were enough, we wouldn't need the Old Testament. Grace is a free gift of God that's given to undeserving sinners. Works, it's earning a wage and getting what we deserve. Please, don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve. Don't, don't, listen, you don't want what you deserve. You want what grace gives. You need what that free gift gives because these two concepts are completely opposite and and honestly, they're exclusive unto each other. If you have one, you can't have the other. They, They don't flow together. Look, if you take one little, if you take a drop of works and add it to a ton of grace, you've just tainted grace. Don't do that. It means this, you can't can't lift a finger to save yourself. You can't do it. We need to understand that. It doesn't matter what you do or what you don't do. It doesn't matter what you think or what you don't think. What matters is what faith has called you to believe and stand in. It's by grace and grace alone. You can't lift a finger to save yourself. So shame on us for trying. We are called to receive what God has done for us because it is Christ and Christ alone who saves. He is the only way. There isn't many ways to heaven. There's one way, and it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the only way, and he's the only one that can lead us back to the Father. It is only through Christ alone. Listen, it's not our works. It's his works that justifies sinners. It's what Jesus has done for us. Now, you also can't mix the the traditions of the Old Covenant with the grace of the New Covenant, or the the traditions of the Old with the grace of the New. 
doesn't mean, again, that there aren't places and points for all of that. It, there is. And it doesn't mean that tradition is, every tradition is bad. There's a lot of apostolic traditions that the scriptures declare that help people come to Christ, help people come to know Christ. So I'm not talking bad about all tradition. What I'm talking about is that we can't allow ourselves to mix the traditions of the old covenant with the grace of the new covenant. Because it's like sewing a patch from a brand new piece of cloth onto an old garment. There are certain things that just aren't supposed to be mixed together. We're not supposed to mix the old covenant and the new covenant. Doesn't mean we don't need the old covenant. It's just that we're not supposed to mix them together. We need the old covenant. How would we ever appreciate everything that God did in the fulfillment of prophecy and the fulfillment of promises and the fulfillment of his word if we didn't have the Old Testament that from beginning to end was leading us to the Savior that would come? We need it, but we can't mix it. You can't mix law and grace. You can't mix Christ and the world. And these are just a few of the examples of things that we should never mix because when we try to, it's disaster. And that's what he's telling us here in these parables. But isn't it crazy how as Christians, as believers in Christ, we try to mix a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of Christianity with our lifestyle of worldliness and sin. We, we think that we can mix those things together. Hey, listen, you can't, you cannot have both. You can't. Last week we saw when we were talking about Levi, when Jesus came to Levi at the tax collector booth and called him to come follow him, he had a decision to make in that moment. But the two decisions were this, stay where I am or follow Jesus because he knew you can't do both. He knew you can't be a follower, I can't follow Jesus and stay in my old life and in my old lifestyle. He couldn't keep that former lifestyle and be a follower of Jesus at the same time. But it seems like today there are so many people today that are determined to prove the truth wrong. I'm just waiting for an amen there. <laughs> Hey, there are a lot of people today that even in the church are determined that we're going to prove Jesus wrong. We're going to prove the world wrong. Oh, yeah, we can't walk in both. Watch me. And head out and try to serve both God and, and our flesh. Try to serve both Jesus and mammon. And it doesn't work. A lot of people take this little patch. Oh, Jesus... I went to church and I received Jesus and I got my little Jesus patch. That's brand new. Look at it. It's perfect. And we try to sew it onto our old life. And we wear the name of Christ in words and serve the world in our actions. Hey, a lot of people want to enjoy the new wine of Christ. They just want to drink it from the old bottle of the world. I'm not going to reject the new garment of discipleship. I just, I would prefer to wear the garment of discipleship that doesn't cost me anything. 
that doesn't require the cross. Come on. A little dramatic, aren't you, Pastor? So they won't reject the new garment. We just, we just don't want it to come with anything that's going to cost us. And so we try to sew that garment of discipleship, this little patch of discipleship on the old garments of worldly pleasures, covetousness, greed, love of the world. And we will find that one day what we've attempted, that we've attempted something that, that we cannot do. And for many, sadly, we won't find out until we stand before the Lord one day, as Matthew 7 tells us, and he says, I, I don't even know you. I, look, I, I mean, I love you, church, and I don't want to see anybody, anybody in our fellowship end up with that kind of outcome. No, I don't want you to do that. Look. Whether we look at this example of the new patch, the new patch goes on, and what happens? The garment gets washed, and the new patch shrinks, and it tears the old garment apart, and the new garment, or the new patch doesn't have any value any longer. And whether we're looking at that illustration or whether we're looking at the one where we take this new wine, this wonderful, this beautiful new wine, and we place it into an old wineskin. And what happens is those old wineskins have no elasticity. They have no ability to bend. They have no flexibility. And so you put the old wine and it looks like it fits for a little while. Hey, look, it's good. What's he talking about? It doesn't fit. Until the wine starts to ferment. Listen, until the wine starts to get better. And when the wine starts to get better, that old wineskin can't handle it. And it bursts. And we see this happen in the church all the time. The wineskin bursts. And what happens? The wineskin's broken open and it's now completely of no value. It doesn't have any value. And the and the wine is spilled all over the ground. And now the wineskin looks at the wine and goes, I don't want you. That's what happens. Understand the point of the parable here. You cannot mix the old and the new. So what's Jesus saying about this whole thing? When it comes to either the law or grace, what's he saying? He's saying you must choose. You must choose because you cannot have it both ways. You can't have both. You've got to choose. And listen, if you're going to make a choice, let me just tell you this. Choose Christ over the law. Choose Jesus over the law. Jesus Christ brings celebration. Jesus brings a party to our life because we are forgiven. Our sins are cleansed and our sins are gone. We have been washed and purified by the blood of Jesus Christ. The law brings mourning because we only find out that my sins are not forgiven. We can't be forgiven. The law doesn't have the ability to do that. Only grace does. And it is grace that sets us free and it is the law that will enslave us. Amen. And grace is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. Amen. And I want you to know 
it is a much better wine. Jesus makes this final point, and I will wrap up with this. Once, once, listen, once you've tasted grace, I mean, really, not just the idea of grace, but once you've really tasted grace, it's like an old vintage wine, and you know it is the best. I mean, when you experience grace, the law loses all appeal. Come on, Amen. I mean, I, I, I don't need that anymore. I don't want that anymore. Man, what caught me up in bondage now has set me free. And, and he says this in verse 39. And, and no one, come on, say no one. No. no one after drinking old wine desires new. For he says this, the old is good. So why didn't Jesus' disciples fast? Because they had the good wine. They didn't fast because they had experienced grace. They had experienced, they were too busy celebrating the reality of the kingdom of God that had come to their life. They, had, they were too busy celebrating the fact that they had come into the new covenant and they understood by their, uh, by their life what was now happening inside because of what Jesus Christ provided for them. The bridegroom was present. The bridegroom was there and there was celebrating because of the reality of this kingdom. To fast at that time would have been wrong. Why? Because it's time for feasting. That's what it was then. And church, listen, we live in the age of feasting. The fast, the the, the called fast, the, the, the required fast is no longer required because we live in a day of feasting. We live in the age of fulfilled promises. We live in a time and the life of Jesus Christ has forgiven us and sin has been forgiven. We live in a day when our debts are erased, a time when slaves to sin are set free. We should be celebrating. The church should be celebrating. We should be feasting. Are you? Are you waking up each and every day and realizing your position in Christ? Are you waking up each and every day and realizing who you are in Christ? What Jesus has done for you? What Jesus has provided for you? That you are the redeemed. I am the blood-bought church. I am a child of the Most High God. I have been given so much in the freedom of grace. Are we celebrating that? Or... Have you just tried to sow Christ into your worldly lifestyle? If so, repent. Repent. And I know it's a turning away, but listen, it's a turning too. Just repent. Turn back to Christ. Or have you, have you spent your time trying to pour Christ into your old life? In fact, it's just, man, it's just not working. Repent. Turn back to him. Because you can't, Jesus is because you can't mix the old and the new. It just won't work. Worship team, come on back up, please. Listen, this... Again, there may be some of you that this will rock, but I will challenge you to, to search this out scripturally. Jesus Christ, sin was serious enough that Jesus had to die for it. 
And sometimes I think we can take it pretty lightly. And church, please hear me here. There is a pagan teaching that is taught in the watered-down gospel intended to be presented to carnal Christians that teaches that if you accept Jesus Christ, that you can accept Jesus Christ into your life and yet never change. Let me just say this. Impossible. It is impossible. How can you be filled with God and not see change when before you were filled with the devil? How can we find the freedom from sin that once we were bound in sin and now I am free from sin and it not bring change? Church, it's not that way. Honestly, it's blasphemy to say that we can do that. It is absolutely unbiblical. It is not in the New Testament, nor is it in these teachings of Jesus. And I'm sorry if that offends you, but I'm also happy if that offends you. Because if you're believing that, then you should be offended. Better you be offended than the gospel be offended. Church, if you truly are born again by the Holy Spirit, you are a totally changed person. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. It says, therefore, if anyone, come on, say anyone. If anyone is in Christ, he is what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold. What came? Come on, behold, the new has come. Church, in that place of salvation, the old is taken away. We are delivered from that, and we are brought into the glorious life that Jesus Christ purchased for us. The old is gone, the new is come. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, my Lord. And that means that now He has filled me with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Ghost has come upon me, and the Holy Spirit is here, and He comes to convict us in regards to sin and in regards to righteousness. Meaning, He comes to live, God comes to live in us and start the process of transformation. Oh yes, there's sanctification in this lifetime, but at salvation, we become a brand new creature in Christ. And that means, church, that our life is going to change. Well, how do I know? Listen, he tells us how to know. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. And I say this lovingly, okay? Because again, I, I do. I love you. But if you're not a changed person, then your conversion experience is false. Again, don't, don't just walk in the deception or this, the pagan rule teaching that, oh, I'm just saved because I said the magic prayer. And I, no, call upon the Lord to come into your life. Ask Him to come and to deliver you from the sinfulness of your life and to shine His light into the dark places of your life. Ask Him to come in a personal and intimate way into your life. Call upon the name of the Lord because He is near and He is here and He desires to move in your life. But if it's nothing more than just mental assent, it's not conversion. Church, 
the Holy Spirit will make you a changed person or a changing person. You'll start to walk out who you are. But Jesus is saying this, the new won't fit into the old. It just won't fit. So like Levi, you know what? Get up and just leave the old life. Embrace Christ. Because church, it's time to party. Come on, it's time to party. This is what Jesus Christ has provided for us. The opportunity to party with Him in the grace and the glory of what He has done for us. Come on, let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we come and we thank you, God, that you are gracious and good. I thank you, God, that you're the one who provides in every way, in every shape, in every form. That you're the one who does what we can't do. So, Lord God, forgive us for continuing to try to do what we can't do while you have been in our presence the whole time. Our church, understand that at that party, those others... The Pharisees and others were outside watching. All they had to do was say, Jesus. Jesus. All they had to do was come in. Are you apart from him today? Have you walked away from him? Have you tried to put little bits and pieces of Jesus into your life? Or have you fully embraced Him in every way, in every shape, in every form where your heart is different? Everything about you is just being changed and transformed. The way you talk, the way you walk, the way you act. I mean, come on, He might as well give you a new name. But church, it's what He does, not what you do. Lord, I pray that right now that this would be a, an intimate, personal moment for each person to have with you. Lord, I just call upon the name of the Lord. You see yourself coming in, receiving Him. out your hand and let Jesus draw you in. Come on, when you let grace touch your life, you'll never want anything other than grace. And when grace fills us, it begins to ferment and it begins to be better and get 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 better. We'll never get to the end of grace. Invite him in. Thank you.
did it all for you. I want you to go and I want you to go be the church. But today, let me tell you this go party. Make sure it's a Holy Ghost party, but go have a party. Go celebrate who you are, celebrate what He's done. Go be the church. Go party. Have a great time at your life groups today. Make sure you get yourself plugged in. God bless you. Come on, let's sing this as we go.